I've always been intrigued by the stories of people in the jewelry industry who make these items, what inspires them, and brings them to this world. I'm here to share their stories. This is A Thousand Facets. Jay Moncada is behind Perpetuum Jewels, a supplier of antique diamonds and responsibly sourced gemstones. He has made his life's purpose to educate himself and others on how to create a business that is environmentally responsible. He serves at a board of Ethical Meadowsmith and collaborates with Pure Earth. Please enjoy our conversation. Hola, Jay. Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias. Ah, very good, very good. We're asking how we're doing, how we're doing. <laughs> so I learned of you from Monica Marcela, who is a dear friend. And she was like, you have to meet Jay. He's amazing. He carries the most beautiful vintage and antique diamonds. And you have to meet him. And I'm like, okay. So we kind of have like a conversation online. And then we met in Vegas. Right. We had lunch. We had a really nice conversation. We hit it off. Mm -hmm. And I think we've had had really great conversations afterwards. And... We have a nice friendship, I think. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just start. Um, where did you grow up? Born and raised in Colombia. Where in Colombia? South America, in Bogota. In Bogota. Yeah. Mm, from the center of the, yeah. the capital. The capital. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like one of those people that's like, yeah, I, I grew up there. But then it's like you grew up in like the, like, the tiny in, little in town the in the outskirts. <laughs> no, no, very, really? very much midtown sort of center of the town family upbringing how is that <laughs> life in the city because it's it's a very con like busy, very busy place yeah how was that childhood um i guess for a big city uh, you know upbringing the standard you know busy uh streets traffic um you know noise and and whatnot i had family all over town and my first uh, up, up until high school, my education uh, was in a private school, so you will, you will be driven in a bus outside of town and you come back, so you have to, you know, um, be all over the place. And my family was all over town, and um, so busy everywhere you go. It doesn't change to this day. It's still busy, chaotic, traffic, it's a mess, it's a headache. <laughs> How often do you go there? How long ago? How often do you go Oh, uh, we've been trying to go every year now. Oh, really? Our, Stay in touch with, uh, and you have everybody there, right? Except for most, your brother. Mostly, most of the younger generations have started being now moving out to other places, mm. but the elders, the aunts, the uncles are still there. All right. Yeah. So, um, how did you like went into the world of jewelry? Because, like, you know, I know that Colombia is like very well known for their emeralds right. it's like finest the, yeah exactly the finest emeralds in the world are in colombia how did you end up in the in the world of jewelry or like like uh, gemstones um at the time when i decided what to do with my life after high school i basically hadn't didn't have a choice i was born into it in oh. many ways my uncle had been wholesaling emeralds for uh, a decade already oh. And at some point, my dad joined him uh, similarly. And before him, uh, my grandfather had a sort of like a little strip mall joint where he was repairing watches and selling some of it. So a little bit piece, pieces of jewelry here and there. And in Colombia, the tradition was mostly gold jewelry, mm -hmm. a little stones. And so the adoption of emerald jewelry started with him and my uncle carried on and they started traveling outside of the country. And when I was trying to make up my mind about what to do in my life. I decided to join my uncle to my first ever Tucson Gem Show mm -hmm. in Arizona. Oh, wow. And my brains exploded, you know, to be exposed to so many aspects of a very international trade. You know, you meet across from us, you had their Afghani material, Brazilians, Indians, all over the place. So it was fascinating. So in a way, I sort of just fit in right into the uh, idea of continuing that 
um, trade. So my uncle has been in it for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept on traveling to Tucson. I got in more involved, ended up staying in New York, met um, a wholesaler that I worked for for a number of years and gained additional knowledge. We expanded on more trade shows with the family business, more trade shows for the company that I work with, and I never looked back. It was really fascinating to see. And it was only emeralds at that point, right? Mostly emeralds, yeah. And do you work with the miners? Like, how do you obtain the, the emeralds? So the way my uncle has been working has been uh, from an, kind of like a district in Bogota, similar mm. to the Diamond District here in New York. Okay. So everything comes either uh, in rough or faceted. He was already buying things finished. He mm. didn't have a really direct contact with miners. And at the time, only certain people were able to go in, into the mine and buy directly. And then once you have a production with you, you have to have your own outfit for cutters and what stuff. So that wasn't the, uh, the setup that my uncle had. He was more about wholesaling and bringing the product to to, to market to America, to Europe. He went, he started really when either Oberstein in, in Germany was still one of the main lapidary centers in the world. And that's where he got his start and it just basically took off from that. Ah. So that was his focus really, just buy finished, uh, faceted polish already mm -hmm. and sell it the same way. Did you ever went to the mines? Just never got never? a chance. Oh, no. No. <laughs> really? no. And I wish... It is possible, but again, you got to really get in touch with whoever is ready to have you participate because, yeah. you know, it's understandable that yeah, they want to keep it yeah, close. Yeah, keep a small to, circle. Exactly. Right? It's, it's very interesting. So, like, what was your transition? Like, so you're in New York and right. like, how do you transition to like diamonds? Part of my um, exposure to all things gems, jewelry, finished jewelry, was working for a wholesaler here in New York. Mm -hmm. They had manufactured in manufactured diamonds cut and polished in India. They had uh, manufacturing of emeralds, rubies, and sapphires, not just from Colombia, from, but from many areas. And so that got me exposed through trade shows and also to the environment of retailers making, designer making, and, and stuff like that. So. It started there to be paying attention to diamonds. I did my GIA here, so of course you go through the whole um, testing to be to be awarded your graduate knowledge diploma, etc. And the idea of focusing on diamond more as a material came about when sort of studying the antique diamonds as opposed to modern production, newly mined out of you know, the mines at the time. Uh, you look at these antique diamonds and you start figuring out the decisions that were made at the time, different from what you were, you know, sort of almost educated to look at. And so I started expanding my view into diamonds um, at the time. How, how was, like how, like I, I've always find antique diamonds so fascinating. I'm much partial to antique diamonds than like modern diamonds because I always feel that the first of all there's not that the technology was not there yeah. and like for them to understand how to cut it but then also like that mine cut that is so uneven yeah. and it's not perfect it's, it's always fascinated me it's beautiful what, what have you like so understanding what how they cut it what can you talk to me about that like what like do you have any insight on yeah. the, that yeah, absolutely modern approach to this is this ideal scenario of proportions predetermined proportions and angles and sizes and etc etc that are supposed to be ideal because of our understanding about light behavior inside a material like diamond mm -hmm. but back then the notion was similar to what you see uh, a color stone lapidary to do that. You look at the material and you make it work according to the environment in which you are in. So early on before um, artificial, uh, not artificial, but electrical lighting in most environments at homes, everything was gas lit and candle lit. So those larger facets and the proportions that you see on antique diamonds were in consideration to those environments, yeah. right? So that's why you see such a different um, brilliance, different scintillation, and different, just a different overall experience 
of an antique over a modern. Oh my god, I've never thought of that way. <laughs> You're opening my eyes. <laughs> I love it. Because I, I have, um, I, ha I wear uh, this, a, like, isn't it from the 1800s ring that mm -hmm. it has like like five, I think five or seven antique diamonds. Beautiful. And like, I love the way that it's faceted. I love that one diamond is kind of higher than the other <laughs> ones. Right. And it's like, it's not perfect at any mean but it just like i think about the person that wore it before right. like i like um i wonder what lives it had before i got it right. and it's just like i don't know there is something there's something so special about it it's just so not perfect but it's perfect for me <laughs> exactly right because they're not preconceived to some notion to a template mm -hmm. and they all have their own way of showing the light in the ring yeah you find interest in their own character in their own profile exactly each one is doing something different with light yeah and that's why i'm not a huge fan of like modern diamonds at all like i don't know it's like everything that is too perfect for me is just kind of boring <laughs> and it's the same yeah it, you can't blame exactly. consumers today about being confused about diamond pricing period because if you look at a twenty thousand dollar diamond that is created high and a ten thousand dollar diamond that's created low but they look the same you can't blame them for being confused you know? exactly it's, it, everything looks the same yeah exactly and so that's the thing is like i, I love my engagement ring it's beautiful, beautiful. it has a, a meaning to me but i think that's like the only Per, like diamond that I have yeah. that I just I will have in my life probably <laughs> but it's, it's natural and it's beautiful and I love it and it means a lot to me and I've had it for exactly. a long time um so I know that you're you know like part of the quest for you to find antique diamonds is because you want to have more of a green business and a, more of a ethical business and I I want to know how do you find the diamonds? How do they get to you? Like, how, what's the process of that? So, Perpetuum Jewels' uh, real purpose in the trade, I would I would pitch it as being an alternative to newly mined product mm -hmm. or newly created product. Mm -hmm. The importance about it is that because uh, it's such a high concentration of value in such a smaller space. Mm -hmm. And because of the quality of the material itself, that it has the potential to, and it does, outlast its owners. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're already looking at things that were conceived 500 years ago exactly. in their original state. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's very limited or almost no um, capacity for it to change or to perish. Yeah. So it has a bit of a sustainable quality, the material, right? Mm -hmm. So. First, now I'm working with the idea of each era's idea on on an approach, uh, on an aesthetic approach, which is like you know forming and faceting a diamond and give it the idea of a diamond. Right? We're looking at we've been looking at diamonds for over 200 years. The U.S. has consumed the most diamonds ever, yeah. so we are able to see a, a, in all the generations of diamond faceting styles and decisions just in the U.S. because you're looking at all of the eras jewelry yeah. and I found that a very uh, very interesting aspect just looking at the material itself so um, we thought it was interesting and when I say we is because we approached this side of the business uh, with the, the founding partner which is Jared who you also mentioned mm -hmm. uh, you've met before yeah and he helped me look at this from the outside I was already in in the weeds of just commoditized diamond, put it in front of the client. This is what people want. Mm -hmm. Make sure they have their GIA. Whereas his look was like, you know, there's, there's something about this that it's also part of the, not just the public inquiry, but also the designer or the smaller jeweler, independent jeweler inquiry about, can you tell me more about how you source this? Mm -hmm. And then we see things, um, that transpired or documented um, in the Blood Diamond movie and people started asking questions more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, as putting us part of the priority. So so that was sort of the, the spark the conception. of it all, the conception. Yeah. Is how can we bring this 
as an alternative to a newly mined product so that you can enhance the idea and, and the conversation yeah. at the time, which is um, was already over 13 years ago. Oh, Perpetuum, wow. actually, Perpetuum Jewels is turning 10 this oh year, by God. the way. Yeah, so. yeah, anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's like I, I was like talking to somebody once and they were like, oh, well, you know, like, and, and well, Antique Diamonds is still kind of blood money because of the way that it was <laughs> conceived. But I'm like, I understand your point. But at the same time, these are this is something that happened 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Yeah. It's a different. It was diff, It was a different mindset. Yeah. But like they're here right now. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. You can't deny the capitalistic and colonialistic approach to why we source and continue to sell the idea of owning a diamond. Mm -hmm. If you look back, just under 100 years ago and the marketing machine that is the beers mm. about put it in and just sitting in everyone's brain that that's what you needed to have yeah and that it was worth two months salary mm -hmm. there's no denying that mm -hmm. right um, and there's a lot of um, burden that been placed in many areas that, uh, that are still underdeveloped but that, that have provided us with this beautiful material over the years so we right now um, are at the intersection of trying to not exactly right the wrongs, but we're trying to make um, uh, changes in the mindset so that we don't continue to perpetuate those damages, right? So you got to look what, what we're trying to do within my community, and we'll talk about that. It's have more of the conversation, so it is not something that still continues to be, you know, um, thrown under the carpet as it's been for close to a hundred years. Exactly. And and one of the things that have really attracted me to your business and what you're doing is that you're really moving towards the like ethical right. mining, the ethical um, sustainable uh, practices. And that's something that I, since I've known you, you've, really have learned more and you have oh, yeah. gotten like deeper in it and yes. it's something that I really am loving about the business that you're creating because it's something that is really important to me yeah. and it's something that I know that a lot of the people that are listening and a lot of people that follow a thousand facets are really like educating themselves yeah. uh, you know about jewelry and about jewelry making and about jewelry sourcing right the materials and, like, the materials and um, I have a knowledge. I'm gonna, you know, I have my knowledge, and I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm always learning. But let's put it this this thing that I'm like ignorant and a lot of thoughts, mm -hmm. because um, I'm somebody that I'm always ready to learn. I'm always ready to listen, and I'm always open to understanding practices understanding mining and stuff like that i've never been to a mine i'm you know i'm in the jewelry world and i've seen like so many aspects of the jewelry yeah. but i'm always one to learn and i'm sure that a lot of people want to learn about that so can you t explain to me a little bit about why we're doing about like the ethical groups what the sustainable right. groups are working now towards um better practices Sure. Um, so it's a it's it's a very loaded conversation between you and I, and between larger player players and in other industries too. Mm -hmm. The idea of having a sustainable industry, mm -hmm. um, it's it's really just you know uh, putting into context what is it that it's not meeting what we today consider to be sustainable, ethical, or responsible, or conscious. Mm -hmm. And for that, we really have to do an exercise in dissecting or deconstructing anything that is being classified today as a claim for responsibility. All mm -hmm. these green claims environment, the, exactly. the green claims environment. Yeah. So let's start with something like the word sustainable, mm -hmm. right? Sustainability sounds fantastic. Something you can stamp on a product, on a website, mm -hmm. on a label, and it makes you, it's the idea is that it makes you feel good. But what is sustainability? You can't really just narrow it down on that one specific term. Mm -hmm. I would deconstruct it and apply it to different areas. For our industry, mm -hmm. I'd like to do an exercise where 
All right, am I talking about sustainable practices? Am I talking about sustainable product, mm -hmm. which is the material? Or am I talking about a sustainable business model? Mm -hmm. right? You can have, if you're fortunate enough and work hard from the very beginning, you can probably check all the, the tabs here. But yeah. looking at, for example, a sustainable practice for a small studio jeweler, um, What's your hiring like? What's your waste management like? What is your resource management like? Mm -hmm. uh, are you repurposing uh, materials within your practice? Yeah. Um, and then you look at the aspect of having a sustainable sustainable product itself. Whether whether your practices are not sustainable or not, you're not seeing a sustainable. Mm -hmm. What about your product? What is your material procurement, procurement like? Mm -hmm. Are you only relying on newly mined material that it's causing, um, what has the potential to, to cause a unsustainable future for the communities involved, mm -hmm. right? You cannot call that sustainable, even if your product has a labeling that could qualify it as it. Yeah. And then as a, as a business model as well, um, the word sustainability came about, um, I believe, 30 years ago, and it was just merely related to the, the potential of a business to continue beyond its short and term goals, right? That's sustainability. Yeah. How long can you stretch this? Can you stretch this beyond your generation or not? Now we, we're seeing it as a environmental and social and um, I guess those two uh, as, a, as a main point. Mm -hmm. We're considering those as how, how much are you potentially um, sustaining society, sustaining environment, sustaining nature, sustaining livelihood for people. Yeah. So when you're looking at, at a particular company or a particular sector of an industry, you got to look, I would exercise the idea of looking at the practices, product or business model and see which areas are sustainable or not. Mm -hmm. In terms of ethical, it's a very loaded word. Yeah. and people like myself who started to use it early on decided to switch it for something that's more realistic mm -hmm. because ethics it's basically you know it's in the eyes of who mm -hmm. right Is exactly it, should i as a western society adult tell ye, tell uh developing countries what ethics are mm -hmm. you know it's not a, a level ground mm -hmm. to be discussing so Ethics is really is really difficult, and it and it branches out also into different aspects about even love for what you do, you know. Um, and then uh, something that's more, I would say, accepted now, and it's it's a it's an easier discussion is the the, the term responsibility. Yeah, you can use this also to apply similarly to sustainable practices product or business model you know yeah. what is because with responsibility you're able to gauge you know if we were to put this at a 10 if you're if you are responsible at a 10 and you're working your way towards responsibility are you at a three and can you keep measuring that year over year until you feel like you have that that you are at that level whereas you can't do that with ethics exactly am i at an ethical 10 right it's very difficult to gauge yeah because it's, it's, it's like you say it's on the eye of the beholder it's not like Correct. you know it's not like oh yeah you know like for example like in africa there's the different like right. practices and people are like you know what we don't think is fair they think is fair it's just like you cannot it's it, 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 like mm -hmm. you said it's not the playing field is not the same and I like the word responsible because it's like it's more like a, you know, it's it's a personal thing as well. Yeah. Like I'm just like, I if I'm am, am I being responsible for A B C? Am I being responsible for sourcing the materials? Am I being sourcing like? And I feel like people love to throw that word. Like I've gotten so many emails of people that is like, oh, like are are. Um, jewelry is car like 100% carbon neutral and I'm like you cannot put all these words in in your work when it's, it just feels very empty you're you're showing and I'm looking at the work and I'm pretty decent at gauging where something is made if it's made in Thailand or China yeah. or like I'm really good at that uh, overall 
it's like mass production when it comes to mass production. And then, um, and I'm looking at this as I'm like, this is made in China, mm-hmm. and it's like you cannot say that is carbon neutral. It has to come somewhere, like yeah. you know. It's like, yeah. so uh, those are, and that's what really worries me. That is like yeah. that that language gets so greenwash and just like so like at, at one point it's gonna be like you're cursing so much that the word means like forgets the value like it's it, like it, loses the value it's you know and that's what i feel like it's happening right now oh yeah i was um and i was watching um i don't know if you ever seen that show with hassan Minaj uh called patriot act he used yeah, to have in, it you know when he did that sustainability um episode and he was saying how in h&m there were like they had the piece of clothing and it's like, oh, this is 100% recycled and whatever, like all these different things in the tag. And when they did the study, only the tag was recycled. Yeah. And beca- But it, because something was recycled in the outfit, that was the, like they could say that it was recyclable. And, and that yeah. pissed me off so much. For sure. And that's, <laughs> that's why um, organizations, government organizations like the FTC, Mm-hmm. Um, that are right now about to revise the green guides, something very relevant in uh, many organizations in the trade are um, collecting not just the support, but also the um, understanding that as an industry, because we are so late in adopting um, what needs to be there so that uh you're not greenwashing yeah. in, in many ways. Um, it's people like JBC, uh, organizations like JBC, for example, are making it possible for us to, you know, submit and, and revise a lot of the green guides so that it's what's already in those uh, definitions are expanded to apply um, on labeling and product marketing, so that it's more of a harmonized understanding of definitions and what before you make your decisions about putting things on a label, ethically sourced or ethical product, you, you got to think about it because there's a, there's a, there's a guide to it. Um, so FTC is important in, yeah. in, in that regard. And that threshold that you're mentioning, it's, it's crazy. So when it's content like that, like there, the law is allowing them to um, use that claim, yeah. that term. Mm-hmm because there isn't a clear definition of how much of it needs to be in there and exactly. it's, it's H&M. They're not the United Nations. They're going to just go with that uh, yeah. and, and, and ride the wave. So again, it's all really understanding which what each, each claim um, needs to mean in the context of what you're deciding to market with or how you're deciding to d- define what you're in it for as a company, as a person, as an industry, as a product line, yeah. everything around it. And there's a threshold like H&M. I can't, it's, I find it hard to believe that someone that for any industry after a certain threshold in which you're already mass producing, you can't, you really are giving up the, the possibility of using any claim mm-hmm. about carbon neutrality, about yeah. responsibility, ethical sourcing. It's, it's nearly possible i know well that's the thing is like they they you know like i i've seen and i heard many places that is like oh yeah we're we're um or we're sustainable we're this but that and then they have like fake factories to show oh this is this is what we do and then meanwhile they're like not doing that and it's just like very stressful and like you know I personally work more with like independent artists and like like one people shows or like small um, people shows, but I feel like you should start a lot from there because it's like once like the big companies you cannot do much about it because it's just that's like a big um, rhino to <laughs> deal with. Sure. Um, so, the, like, how can what can small independent artists do to make their work more responsible? Well, it's now much easier yeah. today than 10 years ago when mm-hmm. Perpetuum Jewels uh, sort of started being the conversations and the environment that the industry is trying to move forward to. And even easier than 20 or 50 years ago when we're sort of 
being living in the obscurity of material procurement for the industry. What can they do is be part of a community of uh, equally caring maker, jeweler, manufacturer, retailer, right? You Once you align your values with colleagues that are, are with the, uh, on the same path, mm -hmm. the same mission, you're going to find information easier because that's the first path. You want to have the information so you can uh, access better materials or not just better in terms of having a check mark, but better in terms of you understanding the information about the procurement and the sourcing and the impact of mm -hmm. the material and pass it to the next person, which is the consumer. Mm -hmm. um, that's one idea. Uh, and then secondly, like I said, it's easier now to find, uh, For uh, I may be on the, the most fortunate side of, of, of things, which is New York, and there's a lot of for example, casters that are using third mine gold in their operations. Yeah. It used to be very difficult to just asking your caster to get it done. Um, there are companies that are already making third mine chain, for example. That was a big ask. So we're in a good place in terms of the ability to make it work. Yeah. Um, some of the challenges that the early communities were finding is that there wasn't enough requests. So if no one is requesting, why should I mine? Mm -hmm. Why should I bother and put all this effort but now we understand yeah. because not just public demands it but just just i would say that the the close the close downs the pandemic helped us reset priorities in many ways I so know, yeah. if i'm doing this am i doing it with for the right reasons exactly and i'm gonna make it happen so that has helped in many yeah it's like companies like pure gold that are like trying to be more fair-minded educating people to i don't know if you are familiar with them they're trying to educate people uh like miners in like um you know uh third world countries to help mine gold properly oh, uh you're talking about pure earth pure earth sorry absolutely sorry. yeah pure so earth. i i i have the honor of working with them for the last few years in what they do. Yeah, their main mission is uh, pollution cleanup yeah. in developing countries. Yeah. So they came into our industry with this big desire on helping clean up mercury mm -hmm. contamination and cyanide contamination in gold producing countries. Colombia being one of them. Yeah. It's right to heart. So when yeah. I knew what they were doing there, I've been um, given the opportunity to help donate materials so that it's auctioned, so that they continue their efforts. It's a fantastic organization. Yeah. And the most impact they do, besides cleanup, it's education, as you mentioned, yeah. and training. I know. I'm sorry that I missed that wrong. Right? <laughs> so like I, was, many I know. It's like I'm trying. I'm really trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. And, and but I, I like I went to one of their um, events and it was amazing. Yeah. Like what they're trying. I was like sitting with this woman from Africa and she was like telling me her story. And I was like so fascinated nice. by it. It's just like I haven't been able to reach out to them again, but I need to like get back with them because I think that they're doing something really important. Yeah. Just like just like helping with the water. Like helping, yeah. like to clean the water, to clean the river, so all that mercury and all that material doesn't go into yeah. the water stream, which is yeah. incredible. It's hard to imagine so the the impact of pollution that just gold mining has had yeah. in, in, in certain areas. Um, one thing that uh, was fascinating, a project that I learned from them. This was two years ago. They found uh, very high levels of, um, I believe it was asbestos. And there was another um, sort of lethal byproduct metal uh, near a school. Oh my God. And not to the school fault uh, no. or the yeah. community. They just happened to build a school right next to a uh, uh, dilapidated um, processing that was leaving all of this in the ground. So, but they go out there, test, they teach locals how to test, how to maintain testing in place, and how to uh, remediate ground so that they don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, and that, that's, and, and that education is like, that, this is the conversations that we need to keep having, yeah. you know, and, and it's a lot, it's a, I know it's a lot of, like, loaded information, yeah. and, and it's, a, it's a lot of things that we have to do to be responsible, but the, if everybody makes, like, such a, at least small changes, little by little, 
they can, we can make it right. we can make it a better industry. Yeah. And that's like what I really want to do. I know you're doing. Yeah. Um, so you also and I'm and going back to Perpetual Jewels. You so you're doing the antique diamonds, but then you're also doing other gemstones, right? Yeah, the, the, the big offering for us is post-consumer recycled, mm. um, which is a way of saying, hey, put this, give this material a new starting circularity in the market. This is all coming from pre-owned, pre-loved, pre-whatever jewelry from, from the public yeah. back into the market. And in addition to that, we found opportunities in promoting things like Australian sapphires mm. and Montana sapphires because of how they are procured. Exactly. This is alluvial deposits that are processed and bodies of waters are, are preserved. There is very minimal impact on local um, nature and fauna, etc. And, and so the chain is very short. The chain of supply is very short from Montana side or Australia to a cutter to uh, my safe and then becomes available, uh, which is very different from many other, it's not a generalization, but it's very different from other types of um, sourcing because it gets, sometimes gets, it travels from country to country and then mixed up and then split up again. And so that, that you lose traceability. So these were an interesting offering outside of the recycled gem and material that it's the, the flag of yeah. my business. Is there any, like, I remember you posted, you guys posted one, this, like, diamond that had, like, this tiny little triangle. It was, like, a I, long time ago, and, like, it had, like, this triangle, and, and then it was, like, the, you said something about, like, the person that caught this yeah. saw that triangle and kept it and he's yes. oh like i will never forget that. it's fascinating it's just like so fascinating yeah. how um just like well, you have so much history in your vault for sure for sure and the more we, there's so much more to understand yeah there are there's always an item in stock every other month or so because it's always a race to get to this material before a local diamond supplier turns it into a, a radiant cut, right? Don't don't <laughs> remind me. It's like it's like the the heartbreak of my life right. that is like they're taking this old mine cut diamonds, they're taking them to Japan or whatever, right. and like they're like cutting them in the new techniques. Some, yeah, like, to appease the the, the traditional. But, place. But, but the thing is that the viewers has like a freaking bolt. Filled with millions and millions, well, they probably have more than one bolt, yeah. like, yeah. of millions and millions, like, and they're, like, just drip, like, trickling to the market. Yeah. And leave those diamonds alone. Seriously. <laughs> leave those antique diamonds alone. They have so much history. I love them. They have so much personality and history. Leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, every decision that's made on an antique diamond, uh, it's with... Um, a very personal uh, approach to the material yeah. by the person who was handling the material. So it's it's fascinating to see what you're referring to. It's something that we find, and it's this real this this decision is about to make it interesting. Um, I recently bought and sold a what's uh, the industry uh, has sort of namely collectively named uh, it's not a popular cut but it's called the Jubilee cut mm -hmm. you're familiar with the Jubilee yeah. diamond that was given yeah. to as a gift for I'm gonna be mixing up names but it was a gift to a during coronation of one yeah, of the yeah one of the queens yeah I don't remember which ones but I, I so there's a particular facet in arrangement in which it's not there's not a big facet in the center that we call a table it was just this sort of dome of facets on top and a pavilion at the bottom and some cutters later on assimilated the style and created more of the same so I've, I've found a few over the years and it's fascinating and if you talk to any cutter they will they will argue extensively that they're trying to avoid the inclusion on the corner and they're trying to be, uh, you know, they all inform themselves with where are the carbon so that they can cut and slice and then decide the shape of the diamond. Yeah. This last one, 
this cutter decided to leave a very black inclusion right at the center of this Jubilee cut. Oh. And the effect was almost like a kaleidoscope. <sighs> when you turn the stone, the black carbon was just this, multiplying yeah. itself oh. visually. He could have done without it. He had, he could have, it was really, it's really close to the surface. So you could have just cut the top and, and, and avoid, oh, but wow. it's a personal decision. Yeah. And because you're using diamond, which is a, it's an everlasting material, you're freezing this decision in time. Yeah. You know, so that's one of the things that continue to motivate me to find more antiques oh. and promote the idea. Yeah, I love that. You can't really say that about a modern cut. Exactly. I know. I know. You're like, I'm like, yeah, I want to see it. I want to own it. Right. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The person saw that and it says like, no, I'm just going to cut it and make it like more special. I don't know. Um, uh, can you tell me a little bit and change a little bit of subject um, about the ethical metalsmith? Sure. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's, uh, I'm very proud to be um, a member of Ethical Metalsmiths. It's was founded a little over 15 years ago. Um, I've been serving as a board member for the last five years. Yeah. And it's really the only of its kind in the US, which is uh, a, a collective of designers, bench jewelers, metalsmiths, makers, gem suppliers like myself, um, educators, and even jewelry students, not just on the side of making jewelry, but the uh, more of the uh, Pratt Institute kind of uh, jewelry, which is more conceptual, more artistic. Mm -hmm. um, and we come together with the common mission and vision that we can create a better industry by how we source, how we um, dedicate ourselves to responsibility in what we do. And we have a fantastic team of uh, volunteers that are making strides in giving and, and kind of like making more contagious for our mission as a forefront of why we do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. um, so um, we are based in Ohio and we are represented all over the country and in some sections outside of the U.S. too. And um, it's a place where I welcome every new upcoming uh, designer and artist to be part of a community because the access to information and the wealth of knowledge that they're ready to share. It's a, it's a, it's a subsection of our industry that has no veils that uh, are, you know, um, perpetuating obscurity. Yeah. Everyone's happy to share who they work with as their setter, as their engraver, because they want to elevate each other's business yeah. in a way that it's symbolic as a community. So very grassroots in that sense, but also very kind of like, progressive in why and answering the why all of us are in the business it's that's very proud of it yeah that's that's incredible yeah but like this is is, is so amazing because uh, and and this is something that i've been talking to people about it that i feel like this generations are very open to share their knowledge with others yeah. like i feel like the jewelry industry used to be such a closer thing still in a lot of cases yeah. it's very closed doors i don't want to tell you anything yeah, depending where you ask you'll exactly see that, so. and, and i'm not telling you it's like oh yeah tell everybody your technique it's not about that because like i feel like everybody has their own techniques that they've worked really hard and i respect that but the thing is i feel like where can you find this the, this ethical or responsible the, like a responsible person that is like yeah. dealing uh, gemstones and Again, like you said, it's about elevating everybody else. Right. You know, a candle doesn't lose its light by they lighting another candle. You know, exactly. you know, it's about. <laughs> well, I, I stole that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quote you. You cannot quote me. <laughs> I, I, but I have it on. I've written on on the side of my computer, so nice. I don't forget it because I think it's very important. I think that we are like the industry is very small. Even though it's right. all over the world, we all know each other in a in a diff, in, in in any capacity in different capacities. Yeah. So and even even if I don't know anybody, I can ask somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. It's always <laughs> like that. Sure. So the thing is that why not keep everybody lifting up each other? Yeah. And like to and 
utilizing the ethical practices that is incredible and that is what we need right mm -hmm. now. Including those that are not directly aligned mm -hmm. in our section of the industry. Yeah. When you talk about lifting up, we need to really, really lift up the artisanal oil mining communities yes. that depend solely on this activity. Yes. Many of those communities, sometimes they have um, you know, agricultural activities, depending on the time of the year, that they can go back to, but oh, a lot wow. of them, they don't. Really? They don't. Large uh, mining, it's well invested, well, right? There's no, yeah. there's no lacking of, of resources, whereas the small um, communities, artisanal, artisanal communities are not, um, they have nothing. So they need to be lifted. They need yeah. to be brought into the fold of um, additional profit gaining, additional, um, you know, how do we make this beautiful product that is associated with value and perhaps luxury? How can we additionally bring um, benefit to the place in which they are sourced, you yeah. know, to lift them up. And, and, and that's something that I've been hearing a lot lately is about this independent mining, you know, uh, groups, like they're like families or yeah. just villages that, you know, like somebody like Monica Stevenson, she um, builds up these women. And she's helping them. She goes to different parts and like she gets this beautiful gemstones yeah. from Ansa Gems. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think that that's really important to on like lift those. Um, it's not curated, but like independent gemstone yeah. uh, miners to the forefront yeah. because it's like yeah, we all want like a, something sparkly and something pretty, but like what if we are helping these women to come and like help their families yeah. and, and and do it in a in a green way? Yeah. So those are the um, those are the things that we're really are really trying to work on. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, ethical mining and uh, just more independent gem, uh, mining, what about lab-grown diamonds? What's your thought about that? It depends where you're trying to find conceptualizing the idea of owning um, lab-grown diamonds. I think it's fascinating that we are achieve that uh, in, in, it's an incredible feat to be able to synthesize the hardest material on earth, right? Mm -hmm. And it was captivating. And I, I try to see it as of, of the intersection of technology and luxury, right? Mm -hmm. It has the capacity to be in that space as a, as a, as a, as a, as a novelty. Mm -hmm. But what has happened, unfortunately, and we spoke about reaching this threshold of mass production is like there is very difficult to see the the plateau of that industry in terms of how many more companies can produce this and how much lower the price of this material can be mm -hmm. um so it's, it's interesting I've been, I've been watching and analyzing this within my um community within the conversations that I have and um, everyone's just riding the wave yeah. you know from the grower to the jeweler that sells it to the larger enterprise you saw the beers putting their their money in it as well mm -hmm. not just producing it but marketing it and also now selling to directly consumers now they have engagement rings background mm -hmm. and there's a mark there they have no one has the bird's eye view that the beers have. Yeah. They have access to all important information, all relevant information about consumption of diamonds in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So they know what they're doing. They <laughs> see the potential. But, you know, when we talk about responsibility or just sustainability, because it's being associated as a green product just because there isn't mining involved, mm -hmm. 
but it turns out as we now know the impact on environment still is there unless and until you are just depending on a renewable sor source completely and solely yeah. so you, you, for you to call that a green product it has to, it has to kind of be connected to the grid because you're uh, you know there's the emissions from uh, from from that so that's just looking at the industry and the hype yeah. and the material. The material itself, yeah, it's diamond. It behaves like diamond. It cuts like diamond. I have conversations with my polishers and my cutters that help me uh, bring back to life some of the oldies. And they, they, they had the experience of cutting it. And it's like the difference of when you cook something slowly or quickly. Mm. They can feel it, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's you know the material. It's it's giving you the same light response. Yeah, that's why they're being touted as just like natural diamonds, right? Mm -hmm. It's giving you the same experience. Um, I think they're here to stay. Mm -hmm. There is no going back. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Is it single tear going that way? <laughs> <laughs> and barely early on. Yeah. Because uh, post-consumer recycled gems in general and antiques have that environmental um, sort of aspect to them mm -hmm. uh, depending on who is in front of you. If the, the person who is buying for an engagement ring and the priorities are environment, most times would be an antique repurposed recycled diamond in front of them next to a lab grown diamond. That had been the case. Mm. But now with the, the sort of crazy pricing um, I don't know. It's very hard to put in. I, I don't know how. I, I, I don't remember seeing any other product that has completely uh, decreased in price so quickly. Wow. Right? So um, it's hard to tell where it's going to go. My point is, it's here to stay. It's If it's going to stay, I think we shouldn't waste this opportunity to create um, a better trade of what it is. Mm -hmm. For example, I could argue on both sides, and you're going to laugh at the first one. Mm -hmm. mm. Let's see. <laughs> Most of the diamonds are being cut and polished in India, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And prior to lab-grown diamonds, it was a very difficult task for a large outfit of cutters and polishers to keep their staff um, employed. Because if there were difficulties in the mining sector and there weren't enough rough coming to... to to a cutting facility, mm -hmm. they needed to let people go. Mm. Labgrown has changed that, mm. and that you can. And I've seen examples of companies with over fifty years of experience working with natural diamonds completely switch over because then they can keep their entire infrastructure in place. Mm. So think about that for a moment. Is it a sustainable business model? Yes, because you're keeping exactly. your people employed. Yeah. Um, is it? Is it environmentally friendly? We don't know until you prove us wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to show me that you're not burning uh, fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. uh, and up until the day, uh, we, we, we don't know that. There's a claim, it came out today, I don't know if you know this, but you, you realize that um, the Prime Minister of India came to the U.S. and mm -hmm. gifted Jill Biden a 7-carat lapdrum diamond, 7.5-carat lapdrum diamond, oh to commemorate the... 75-year anniversary of India's independence. Very symbolic, very great. Yeah. India, traditionally a place of natural diamond cutters and polishers, okay. has now the representative of the country gifting a lab-grown diamond to the first lady of the U.S. <laughs> uh, like, Do like, you see the, <laughs> the, the complication, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm like, I just got like a little sick right now. <laughs> it's very complicated. <sighs> I researched, because this is what everyone must do, I researched, and thanks to an article that came out today, I was informed about the company that produced and sold it to the Prime Minister of India. Mm -hmm. And they're that close to um, proving to me that those that diamond particularly uh, was produced in a close to carbon zero environment. Okay. But I still have to interpret what they're showing us, the claims. Mm -hmm. um, this could be looked up. You can see it later if you want. Um, they run on solar and wind power. Okay. And they show you the numbers about production. But I do not know how many, what is the electrical 
pull necessary to create those lab-grown yeah. garments. So I cannot just justify having a solar panel outside of my office of my office and be like, I am carbon neutral. Exactly. When I don't know how much I'm pulling, how much I'm putting in. Yeah. A lot of measuring needs to come into place yeah. with the help of um, um, standards that mm -hmm. you can find now. Mm -hmm. It's a more prevalent industry that to have uh, certifications for your um, green claims. Let's put it that way. Yeah. To just to generalize it. So. To go back, lab grounds are here to stay. It's what we do moving forward, <laughs> right? <laughs> Another side note, interesting. We know of, um, what's the name of the company that Leonardo DiCaprio helped fund in early here in California with lab grounds? Don't know. Diamond Foundry. Oh, yeah. Diamond Foundry. Mm -hmm. Big within the designers arena for a while. But we don't understand this well, but their their big thing is really not jewelry most of their production revenue as far as i last check it's really for technology technology, yeah, technology. technology. and that's the thing is like for so, me like, that doesn't bother me like it's just like whatever you know like i understand that well it bothers me a little bit just because of the i don't know what's the usage it's like crypto you know it's like everybody's exactly. like crypto it's exactly. like and then crypto is actually worse for the environment you know Exactly. <laughs> you know, like that's those are the things that I'm like, I need to know the numbers. And like exactly. everybody was like, Oh well, these are my numbers. And it was an independent, you know, source that is like that was paid for the company. Exactly, right. You know, so those are the things that I I have like a lot of, you know, reservations yeah. about it. And also the fact that there's nothing more beautiful than something that came from the earth. Yeah. You know, and like and and again, like I said, diamonds are not my stone of choice. Period. In the in the <laughs> like the the new cuts, they're not my stone of choice. Like I you don't see posts of me like posting like you know a, a piece of jewelry with seventeen hundred diamonds and just like everything is like sparkle because that's not my taste. But when it comes to like antique diamonds, that's they have a special place in my heart okay. especially victorian georgian like there's like oh, for sure. they're the like yeah. those are like they, like i i can have like a billion of them and i'll be happy <laughs> i'll be swimming with them but but the thing is that it i i do understand that again the practices have never been perfect but when you look at the longevity of it like you said mm -hmm. there's a value of utilizing yes. those instead of like the newer cuts and the viewers doesn't need that more money. <laughs> no, they will never run out. <laughs> they never run out, and they will never run out of diamonds. There's, yeah. there's, there have plenty. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is true, and they've said it. They've said it publicly that there is a the clock is ticking for diamonds and diamond uh, deposits in the world. It mm. is it is a finite source. Really? That's why you can't really say diamonds are sustainable because it's not it it'll come to a point where there's no yeah, more. Exactly. Using the word sustainable, mm -hmm. right? Um and probably one of the reasons why they got into lab grounds because they understand mm -hmm. when the spigot will no longer drip to their benefit. So exactly. they're shifting uh, investments and they're shifting uh, people's perceptions or what's possible. Because in many ways, lab-grown diamonds that are sold by the beers are basically endorsed by the beers. Like, well, if the <laughs> beers are okay with them, why would I be fearful? Why would my why would I feel stigmatized? The power of marketing. <laughs> the power of putting so much money on Seriously. something. It's like, yeah. uh, I wish I had that amount of money to promote my, like <laughs> to promote <laughs> ethical and like responsible and small jewelers and gemstone dealers and stuff like that. You have something, and I'm going to just clearly say this is very honest. You have something more valuable than money, which is the network and community you created. Thank you. You heard that saying that it's not about how much you have, but the person, but who you know. Yeah. That's exactly what you're doing. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate it very much. But it, it's important to me um, to create a community that it feels respected by me and supported by me. You know, it's like, it's, I'm not going to cry. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, 
because I do respect everybody that I work with and everybody that I talk to um, right now, like that I'm interviewing. They're like it's people that I respect very much, and I want people to really believe in them as much as I believe in them because I'm yeah. um, I, I know that I'm like that one one woman show with like a little flag. It's like here, look at this person. <laughs> it's awesome. But I mean, thank you so much. I really appreciate it's it. It's real. It's real. <laughs> and that, on this new chapter of your podcast, I'm so excited because it's a, it's a whole other layer of information yeah. that we already experienced. You showed us the aesthetic, your reaction to it. Now we can listen to it. I love it. <laughs> oh my God, can you be my marketing person? <laughs> Where do I sign? You have <laughs> You're awesome, Jay. I like uh, like that. I like that a lot. Um, you, you know, uh, is there anything else that you want to shoot at me? Because, like, you know, I think you were worth of knowledge. And I think we need, like, a second episode because, like, it. you have, like, so much. Let's I, piece it out. I know. We need to, like, create a second episode at some point because I do think that there's so much knowledge that you have mm. that I think, like, we just... They hit the surface. We've been talking for an hour already. Amazing. Can you believe that? Amazing. And it doesn't feel like it because I feel like you, you're definitely a wealth of knowledge. Um, but I do have a, like, um, I have some compulsory questions that I like to ask people. Um, what's your favorite gemstone? It's been shifting. Remember, really? I was sort of born into this industry. Yeah. Um, like you, I, I couldn't care uh, for diamonds uh, yeah. some time ago. Emeralds were a thing. True. Mm -hmm from La Patria, yeah. right? <laughs> I think as of late, um, something that it's remarkably different and, and, and fresh in, 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 in terms of the material. Like if you show me uh, a new deposit on um, of sapphires and another place that's generating these colors that are unusual. So it keeps changing. Uh, overalls lately, sapphires mm -hmm. and distinctive forms, shapes, and colors of specific deposits make it excite me. So when I hear about a new one, I'm like, I gotta go check it out. It's like, tell me, tell me yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, what's your favorite metal? Even though you're not a jeweler, but you have, you know. Platinum. Really? Oh, man, I just love how it ages. Um, my wedding band is platinum, and my my lady's engagement ring is platinum, and it ages so good. I yeah. just love it. There's the tonality. Great. Love that. Um, what's your favorite technique or tool? Mm, in what I do or watching I others? Watching others. Like. I am fascinated by super tiny engraving. Mm. Um, and I have my list of, they're not coming to mind, I have my list of artists, makers, and whether are just incredible, are amazingly detailed, fine engraving. I'm going to need that list at some um, point. Yeah. I have a bunny that I want to be engraved. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, who's your favorite artist? Doesn't need to be jewelry. can be anything. Um, I'm, hu I'm huge on visuals, and some movies for me are fantastic. Uh, I think Quentin Tarantino, it's fantastic. I don't know if I should call him an artist because he's more of a organizer but he has the vision but he has the vision exactly and, and, and artists have the vision and i like what this like the stuff he puts in my head even if it's uncomfortable mm. um yeah i like that um there's an, a new question that i've been asking people lately it's like what do you want people to feel when they wear in their case the diamonds that you source for them oh i i feel i want them to feel empowered because of a conscious decision they made far away from price or size expectation or quality expectation because they know of what's possible with such a large amount of value concentrated in such a small space yeah i like that i like that <laughs> and do you have any advice for future jewelry artists and you know i think you you can definitely what do you what advice do you have for them uh, seek out community immediately. It's your first step. Mm -hmm. And I cannot recommend any more um, ethical metalsmiths in the US. Uh, and if you're in the UK, Fair Luxury uh, Group, which is um, fantastic. Uh, and to keep your eyes on the goal, I, I think you are very good at, you know, um, 
elevating everyone's particular aesthetic mm-hmm. uh, and when because when they make something and put it into the world you're experiencing their mindset their the way they see the world through their eyes so keep that you know for for as long as you can and and feel and just to feel um, I would say because I've done it in my sort of career gravitate towards people that excite you absorb as much as you can all the good learn from the bad and continue to improve that vision until you know you feel like you're so way up in a place and when you're there start teaching that and start leaving it to the next person even if it's you have to find them but I love that <laughs> thank you that's beautiful <laughs> um, where can people find you I'm best in New York City mm-hmm. you can reach me on uh, the website perpetuumjewels.com um, I have an Instagram account for the trade and one for the public as well you probably can Note it in your show notes and uh, reach me through Ethical Metalsmiths as well. Um, I'm, I'd like to participate in all of these responsible sourcing conversations across the country and the world. You can find me on panels and conversations at the Chicago Conference or the Ethical Metalsmiths um, uh, forums and etc. etc. So awesome. easy to find. <laughs> Jay, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. So you were in my list. So I This hope, is great. I hope you like thank it. Thank you. <laughs> I've been up to date with all of your podcasts and I'm loving all of them. Thank you so, so much. Cool. Some of my favorite people are there already. So oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Thousand Facets is produced and edited by me. Please visit A Thousand Facets on Instagram to see photos of some of the things we spoke about during the interview. Music by Chris Keys. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Keys underscore underscore. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. i